It's time for another season of The Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find The Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got Tom Patton. Hello, Tom. Hello, how are you doing, Stuart? You all right? I'm all right. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, pleasure to be back, as always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, actually, because uh, lining this up, I noticed on the Skype, I had 12 months since I spoke to you, so that must mean it's 12 months since the last Frightfest. Yeah, basically, I think it was. And I think, yeah, I had um, uh, John from the site was on set of uh, Black Site at that time, and right. I took a I took a little break and jumped on the, the Skype with you, if I remember correctly. Indeed, indeed. So so this new film is Black Sight, and it's playing at Frightfest this year. Uh-huh. So it's, 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 <laughs> is this is this uh, is this your work is what premiere is this? This the first the first public showing? Yeah, this is the world premiere of the movie. We did uh, test screenings as as you try to do to make you know to refine it, but this is the first time this cut has been out there and this is the locked version, so very excited for people to see it. Congratulations on that front. Um, so before we start jibber-jabbering, do you want to give the listener a brief synopsis as to what Black Sight is all about? Sure. Um, so Black Sight is me uh, reenacting my 80s John Carpenter-esque fantasies um, because it's you know really where my influences come from. And it's about a young woman who's um, forced to push past her worst fears and battle to deport this entity back to another dimension. Uh, it's set inside an underground military base called the Artemis Black Site, and it sort of mixes this Escape from New York-style survival story with Lovecraftian elements and an absolute truckload of action, basically. Indeed it does, indeed it does. Um, so before we get into more detail about that, I want to ask you, what would be your kind of early, earliest or fond memory of, of watching or consuming horror, whether it be comic, film, that got you on the road to being a horror fan and or a filmmaker as you are now. Uh, you, you, well, okay, I actually uh, I remember the moment where I sort of got into the. It was very much in, into eighties horror movies, and so please, my, please tell. Yeah, my parents used to work on the markets and car boots, and there was a guy always opposite when they did this car boot on a Wednesday who sold all these VHSs that he was importing from all over the place, and. 
I saw the cover artwork for Return of the Living Dead and thought it looked crazy cool. So I yeah. picked it up and the guy said, if you're going to take that, you should take this as well. And he gave me Evil Dead and I took them both home and I was just hooked. Uh, you know, from, from, from watching those two movies, uh, from that point onwards, I knew that A, I'm going to be a filmmaker and B, you know, this style of movie is probably going to be my passion. Did you what? You took the moment it was you on your own. Yeah, just back, back to back to back. Back back to back. Yeah, I smashed through. I watched Return of the Living Dead first, and um, you know I loved this sort of like zany, gory comedy with sort of uh, you know the sort of new romantic punk elements, and you know I liked that it was you know mixing all these elements that that, that have no right existing together into something cohesive, mm. and you know, and then obviously I watched Evil Dead and you know, became a real big fan of two and three as well. But again, it was a similar sort of, you know, mixing of tones and, and, and genres. Um, and I think if you look at the work that I've been doing now that I make films, you know, it's, it's very much mixing of tones and genres. So I think you can probably plot my trajectory back to that afternoon watching those two movies. I love the idea that you've got it, you've got it like sort of indelibly printed in your mind as to where the first the first foot on the mountain was a car boot yeah, sale. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean I think like like all like all people my age, you know, I remember seeing Jurassic Park at the cinema and going, Oh my god, I, I wanna be a uh, an archaeologist. Really, I wanted to be a filmmaker, you just don't realise. But I think it was that moment, it was that it was that afternoon with those two films that made me say that yeah, this is this is what I'm gonna do, I think. Now we we you you wrote and directed uh, Black Sight, yeah? I did indeed, which puts us in a privileged position, so we can start at the, at the sort of kernel of this one. So, for you, what what was the what was the kernel of the idea that led to you writing and producing Black Sight? Well, I mean, I, it, Black Sight kind of comes from an earlier an earlier version of something that okay. mutated into this. I am. Um, I was having a discussion about how you know I'm a big fan of H.P. Lovecraft's work. That, but that I feel that it doesn't translate very well cinematically because, you know, it was very descriptive and it was often in diary form and, you know, it never, it never seems to directly translate. And, you know, my argument was actually when you take the elements from Lovecraft and you mix them in with other genres, that tends to be when you get your classics like The Thing and, and so on. Mm. Uh, you know, and then we got into a conversation about genres that Lovecraft couldn't be mixed with. And, you know, one of them was like, it would be very hard to mix Lovecraft effectively with a, with a, a sort of a, you know, a cheesy action film. And I thought, challenge accepted. So, um, so that was kind of the birth of it. And originally it existed as a script called Supernatural Max, where yeah. it was inside a prison and there was all, the prison was, uh, you know, designed to house all these supernatural creatures. Um, and that version of the script was about a girl whose, uh, dad used to work there had been, um, you know, he was a field officer. His job was to catch these creatures. And he died in the field. And, you know, she tried to follow in his footsteps. But because she'd seen one of these creatures with her own eyes, it, it messed with her, you know, psychologically speaking. Mm. So she keeps failing the psych evaluation test. And, you know, as, as a sort of a legacy to her father, they give her a desk job. And, you know, they bring in the creature that killed her, her dad. And... All his followers siege the building, uh, assault on Precinct 13 style. And she becomes sort of like a last man standing, proving that she's worthy of the field officer job. So that was where it began. Yeah. And then as we started to expand the universe, you know, and we started to create this government agency and, you know, you know, trying to reflect real world events. 
the prison morphed into uh, a government black site. Um, you know, and for budgetary reasons, we introduce all these, you know, different elements. But, you know, it was almost like when you make a, a low budget action movie full of CGI, you know, you're kind of having to explain away why certain elements are missing. So I tried to make those feel very organic to the world. And we did a lot of world building and stuff. And uh, I was going to say, do you want to talk us through so how, how you go about the world building? Because there's 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 this. It doesn't. It, fantasy can be fantasy, but as long as everything's consistent within that fantasy setup, it'll work. But the, you can't just go hokum here, hokum there, can you? <laughs> no, you can't. I think the important thing, like you said, is it's establishing your rules, and you don't want too many of them either. You know, you have to be very concise about them. I mean, one of the things we do in Blacksite, you know, and like I said, it's a direct homage to um, Escape from New York. You know. Hmm. It, it, I mean, when you look at what John Carpenter did there, he built, he, he, he does this, you know, masterclass in world building where he, the idea that somehow we would empty New York and turn it into a prison is ludicrous. But so he literally slaps these graphics on screen and he says, New York's a prison. You can't get in or out. Get over it. And we move on. Right. Yeah. 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 Do you know, and I felt that actually that was a very clever way of doing it. And so we, we directly homage that within Blacksite. You know, we open with some similar looking graphics and we say, you know, um, the elder gods were here before mankind. They escaped back into our universe in the twenties. And ever since we've been rounding them up and deporting them back. These are the people that do it and this is how they do it. And then we move on, you know, and we never break those rules and we never, you know, we, we never try to go outside of them. But I think, for me, the really interesting thing about world building, the thing that makes me love films like John Wick and, and those kinds of movies is, is you infer a, a bigger world. You know, characters talk about things uh, as if, you know, we should know what they're talking about, but they don't fill in the blanks, you know. Mm. And, you know, like, for instance, why does everybody use gold coins in John Wick? You know, it's a very computer game. It's, it's never explained. It's never, it's never delved into. It's just the way it is. And, you know, we try, I try to do a lot of that within my writing where, we, you know, characters will reference events from, you know, other incidents or, you know, perhaps, or, you know, things that have happened to them. And you as a viewer just have to accept that that's part of the fabric of this universe. And I think it, you know, it sparks an interest in exploring it further. Hopefully that's the, the overall plan. So, Well, no, it's, 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 it's always the... Um... It's always the, the difficulty for uh, as uh, you know as, as someone that's not long since been that kind of you know budding training away writer is that you you forever get stuck in these traps of thinking you've got to explain things all the time, and in fact yeah. it, all the best films you've enjoyed things just happen and you accept them because that's what happens in that world. Yeah, I think it's a, you know what the other thing you know I'm pretty sure I probably said the exact same thing the last time I was on the podcast. Um, <laughs> For me, it's about, it's about thematic resonance as well. You know, like I try and, you know, you come up with all these cool ideas all the time for stuff, you know, but for, for me, it's about saying, okay, what is the theme of this movie? You know, and for, um, for Blacksite, the theme was very much, um, you know, don't accept the labels people put on you. Mm. You know, and every character is essentially rallying against the way they've been labelled. You know, we label this guy's the nerd, she's psychologically damaged, this is the boss, he's the villain. You know, and we spend the rest of the movie having those characters rip those labels off and, rever and reverse what you think you were going to see. And I try to apply that to the world building as well. It's like, okay, that's a cool idea, but if it doesn't service this idea of, you know, not accepting a label, then I'll save it for the next 
you know, film, because potentially we'll explore a different theme within this universe in that one. So I think it's about, I think it's about knowing which ideas are cool and to just put on the save for later pile rather than to try to stuff them all in, you know? Indeed, no, no, totally. So, given 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 it's a it's it's a homage to John Carpenter in many senses. What was your conversation like with your cinematographer about the look and feel for this film? Well, you know, I mean, me and George Burt, who uh, you know, he's just a, a phenomenal talent. You know, he's really got this incredible ability to take the very little I give him in terms of budget most of the time, yeah, and 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 create something that I feel, but you know. It is worthy of being on a big screen. And, um, you know, when, when we, when we spoke about Black Sight, you know, and I, I said I wanted to go for this particular kind of aesthetic. And I think that my previous movies had hinted that that's kind of where my inspirations came from. Mm. Uh, and with this one, I just was like, I mean, oh, well, I'm going to push all the, all the cards into the middle. And it's, it's very hard for a modern, modern cinematographer when I'm saying, you know what, I want to use a lot of lock offs, you know, and I want to use a lot of, a lot of really wide lock offs. So it's, as well, you know. Um, because that stylistically fits with that particular period, you know, when cameras were very heavy, moving them around was very difficult, you know, um, you know, it was like whenever we do do a, a tracking shot, then it's got to be, you know, specifically motivated because, you know, back then, um, speed was of the essence, you know, it was like very little money and a very, you know, very tight shooting schedule. I think we made black site in 18 days. Wow. So, yeah, it was it was very full on. Yeah, it's a, and it's a, a ninety one minute movie, so it's you know it's not it's not a short film, and it's like I think you know it was about adopting the stylistic mannerisms of filmmakers from the early eighties and how they went about it, and how they went about it tr- truthfully was they got a lot of coverage and they used a lot of angles and a lot of lock offs and a lot of wides to connect that tissue. So it was about working with George on that and you know going through a lot of references. So does that does that mean then? You, 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 not just the cinematographer then, but you're on the production design and and set and locations become all the more important because I noticed there's lots of sort of, there's lots of shots where, where you're kind of obscuring views and getting nice shapes, aren't you, and stuff. So it's yeah. there's things at the fore, there's things in the background and it's, you're right, there, you, you give us time to look. It's not all, we're not running around with the camera, are we? No, because I think that's one of the things about that particular era, you know, action, particularly action films from that period, you know, they often just sit back with the camera, often very still, and they let the actors punch each other and they let you see it. You know, there's not there's not 56 cuts in two minutes like you got in, <laughs> in Iron Fist, you know, it was like, is he fighting? I can't really tell. Like in here, it was like, you know, that's what we were, we were going for. Uh, and from a production design perspective, you know, we're underground. You know, it's very hard to make a film look interesting visually for 90 minutes in a, in a single, you know, I mean, I say, I say it's a single location, but it's three and a half miles of abandoned nuclear tunnels is what we're showing. Is that uh, right? Where, how did you find that? Purely by coincidence. Um, I was looking at different nuclear sites all around the country and a friend of mine was planning to throw a, a rave in this particular set of tunnels. Yeah. Uh, tipped me off to it and I went and checked them out and they were absolutely perfect for it. But, you know, when we first saw them, it's like tunnel after tunnel of grey, dark walls. You know, and so we kind of came up with this way of um, breaking the facility into, into you know, separate zones. Yeah. You know, like red zone, green zone and blue zone. And yeah. playing, playing with lighting uh, to create not just a sense of, um, you know, like you were in a different location, but also to create a progression in the film. So, you know, 
the character's journey is plotted from the red into the green, into the blue. So, you, you know, you feel like you're approaching a, a finish line rather than stuck within the same walls. So that became a very important part of it. And and I did I, I, I did all the visual effects work myself as well. So all the CGI you see in the film is, is all done by me. So a lot of that was built into the planning as well, where it was like, okay, you know, I'm, although this might look boring when we're filming it, it's going to have, you know, uh, you know, an electric wall in here and it's going to have all the sci-fi stuff going on over there. So, you know, it, it, it kind of... It was yeah, fact, I, was, I was going to say, where did that... The, what do they call it? The electric light field, is it? Is that what they call it? Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, so... That was a neat, I, that was a neat trick. Well, again, it come, it's kind of... That's what, you know what, that's what I love about independent filmmaking. A lot of cool stuff can be birthed from, uh, you know, necessity. Mm. Um, uh, because, you know, we found these amazing tunnels and they're just perfect, but they're missing the integral part that the script had, which was there's no blast doors left. Someone's come in and taken all the blast doors out. So it's how do you, how do you shut down the facility? How do you credibly make this a challenge for your main characters? And so, um, I was working on another script uh, called Glow. And inside that script, I had this idea for this thing called the electrified light field. Which was, you know, basically a set of lasers that would, you know, electrocute people if they tried to cross them. Yeah. And so we decided to port that over into into Black Sight. And because we we're already in sci-fi territory, it it, it melded really nicely. It, it just aided that world building that we were aiming for. Um. So yeah, it became part of the script, and they became our blast doors, if you will. And so you know, a lot of filming was like, okay, well, that's going to be there. And and because of that, a lot of interesting elements were introduced to, to the movie, I think. And um. Yeah, I think they look cool. <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed uh, Chris Johnson's performance as uh, as Erebus. Is that the right way to pronounce it? Uh, Erebus. Erebus. Sorry, Erebus. Yeah. <laughs> my my the standout line, which because I you know it got it, 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 I, I, I'm not a religious person. Yeah. And one of the things that I always think about religion is that there's there's a sense of self importance attached to being religious. This idea that we've a reason to be here as opposed to there's no reason other than other than we're, we're organic matter. And I, I love that, I mean, he performs, obviously, I mean, this is, this is only detail, this should, it's not story, but he, pl he plays the role of one of the gods, but he's in the body of somebody else, isn't he? So that's a, yeah. so he's so, talking as a human. So it's just a line he said that, that, that nobody, I think it was, let me get this right, because I wrote it down. <laughs> nobody in the cosmos cares what you call it. Nobody in the cosmos cares about you at all, and I thought that was really kind of chilling. This idea of this kind of centuries-old god telling humans you're insignificant. Yeah, I think that, but that's the beauty of Lovecraft, right? And for me, that was you know we talked about earlier about how do we, why did I try and fuse these two things together? And it was like, okay, we're trying to do it when if you try and go for the pure Lovecraftian crazy, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, it, it it doesn't fuse with this genre very well at all. Uh, you know, as as multiple first drafts can attest. But <laughs> <laughs> but where what I really discovered, what I really felt, you know, what the essence of Lovecraft is really doing is is it's you know the the, the thing that makes Lovecraft scary is this idea that you are insignificant. That there's this vast galaxy or universe out there full of things so nightmarish you couldn't even look at them without going crazy and they don't care about you they're not coming here to kill you you're just in the way uh, by accident like ants you know ants where where i'm about to put up a block of flats and that that for me is what's fascinating about lovecraft and once i started to port that 
ideology into the movie. It really gave birth to Erebus as a character. And like like yourself, I'm not re- I'm not a religious guy, you know. Um, and, and one of the things that's very hard to do as a writer when you're not religious is make something supernatural, particularly when there's a possession element involved, which there mm. is in, in Blacksite. Mm. So it's like again, there was this challenge element to it. Like like, could I make? Could I effectively write an atheist? possession film you know and that's where the idea of uh, of Erebus's tone and the way he sees things and the way he looks at humans comes from you know for him like he is a god essentially you know he, he describes himself as one of the oldest things in the universe and he himself is atheist you know and that I found fascinating and it, it, it kind of gave us this really interesting dialogue to play with but you know it's, don't get me wrong, it's not, it's, uh, you know, if you're heavily religious, this might not be the film for you. So. <laughs> I wasn't offended. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, one last question for you. So, um, you, you, you've got the Carpenter-esque thing, you've got the Lovecrafting thing, but also there's a lot of action in this film. Um, <clears throat> so, how, how, how fun was it to shoot those, uh, the fight scenes? You've got samurai swords, you've got hammers... You know, yeah. you must have had a ball. Yeah, you know what? It was it was a it was a ton of fun. Um, you know, and, and Samantha Schnitzler who plays the lead, uh, and Phoebe Robinson Galvin that plays the sort of you know second in command villain that sieges the facility. They're both highly trained, you know, martial artists themselves. You know, they really know how to handle themselves, and I think that was great for me as a director because I wasn't having to replace them with stunt doubles. You know, and I must like, admit, I must admit, Tom, that scene when she's but the early scene when she's punching the punch bag, I was yeah. like, well, she's obviously a fighter. There's, there was no yeah, well, that was part of putting it in there, you know. It was like, if you watch a lot of Hong Kong cinema, they, yeah. they often open with the, the protagonist punching something in the gym or like a like a wooden board or something that lets yeah. you know this guy knows how to throw a punch so that yeah. later you believe you're looking at him. And so we went for that. Um, but again, it was, you know, it was similar to the cinematography question in that it, the interesting thing is like, the modern filmmaker in me was like getting there with a shaky cam and let's move around and let's fill it with energy. And then trying to juxtapose that with, okay, but I'm trying to make this like somebody, you know, in, in 83 um, and going, actually, no, let's let the camera sit there and breathe. Let's let them punch each other and see what happens. And, um, you know, hopefully I think the thing with black Sight is I think if I'm, if I'm honest as a filmmaker, you know, my first movie Pandorica is, it's a very Marmite experience. You know, there's people that absolutely hate it with all of their soul. And then there's people that love it and they come up with hoodies on a Comic-Con and have me sign it. And I think that made me sort of, I had this reaction and I went into Redwood and I wanted to make something that was more mass appealing, a bit more generic, if you will, and create something that I thought more people were going to come up and pat me on the back for. And, and what I discovered was that people just sort of went, yeah, I liked it. And, and I didn't like that. So I doubled down with Black Sight and I created Ultra Marmite. And I was like, you know what? You're either really going to get this or you're not going to get it. And that's totally cool. And that's hopefully is, is kind of the response we get from it. No, I, I mean, God, why did Refn always says, don't he? He'd rather, he'd rather people love and hate it. He, the worst thing you could say is it's all right. Yeah. And you know what? I think that is a lesson. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very, very proud of Redwoods. You know, and it's got it's got you know big supporters out there, but it was a film made under under duress to some degree, you know. And um, you know, I think the big takeaway I took from that movie was that 
you know, as a, as a filmmaker, I'd rather, I'd rather have an impassioned fan base and an impassioned anti-fan base than have people say, yeah, he was all right. Uh, one, one last question for you. Um, the, uh, the soundtrack certainly uh, resonates with the John Carpenter influence. Yeah. What, what was your conversations like with um, with? I mean, mine's gone blank now. Max Sweary. Yeah, name. Max Sweary. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you know what? So I've worked with Max on on all three films, and you know we're obviously working on Sairs now. And you know, me and him both come from an electronic music background. I made videos for that. So he comes from that scene, and. Um, so we've always had this electronic feel to, to what we've been doing, and yeah. um, and I think I think this felt like the perfect culmination of what we'd worked on on the previous two films. Mm. Um, you know, and going back and listening to all these these sort of eighty sounds and, and bringing them in, and you know, and just fusing them with enough modern sounding, you know, uh, you know, bass lines and stuff that it, that it still has that modern energy to the film. But you know, the music for me was was a ton of fun and. You know, massive shout out to Max because if I'm really blunt, um, my films live or die on his music half the time, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've got nothing but admiration and respect for him. And he's the kind of guy, you know, I'll give him a scene and say, Oh, here, what do you think of this? And then like four hours later, the scene comes back and he's written something for it. And I'm like, don't change a thing. That's, that's the score. Great. So he's a, he's a real talent. I think, um, you'll be seeing, you're probably going to see more of him in the coming years than you do with me. So we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> well, well, look. Thanks very much for coming back on the uh, on the Britflix podcast to give us a fright fest preview. My pleasure. The Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly, there's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv another season of the Palmetto Porch, an original podcast from Discover South Carolina. I'm Devin Whitmire. Join me as I get to the heart of what makes South Carolina such a great place to visit by speaking to the locals who make it so special. Premiering December 5th, find the Palmetto Porch wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information about our show, visit scpalmettoporch.com.